Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. A really fascinating guest and topic today, Asti Shaheen and Karan Tehran, uh, Trahan. I, I knew I was gonna fuck up your name. Um, and so let me just, I'm gonna give both of your bios because they're so in, impressive, but also I wanna spend the time really talking about your area of expertise. So Asti, you're the co-founder and CEO of Wagme Labs, which is a venture-backed organization focused on bringing institutional capital to the Olympus DAO ecosystem. Uh, you were an early contributor to Olympus DAO, you're a former policy team member, like you really, you, you know this as well or better than anybody possibly could. And Karin, you're a, a finance guy, right? So you, you worked at Goldman, you worked at the World Bank, you worked at Alliance Bernstein, you've done stuff all over the world and now you're bringing your talents to, to Dow. So um, thank you both uh, for joining. Let me just start, and I, it's funny, I told these guys right before we went on that like, given that this is both such a fascinating but sort of still not really understood topic, we're gonna keep this pretty simple today because my goal is for you guys, the listeners, to come out of this with an understanding of both what they're doing but ultimately what Dow's are because I think they have tremendous potential, but you know, part of it requires people actually understanding what they are. So, so Asfi, let's start with Olympus DAO. What is it? Olympus is, it's trying to create a reserve currency for uh, the crypto markets. Uh, there are, it's important to know that the difference, for us, the difference between money and currency is important. We see okay. Bitcoin as money, we see Ether as money, we see gold as money. Currencies are meant to be more stable than money. So the dollar is the currency, the pound is the currency. Historically, what we've seen with currencies is that currencies end up getting created when they are backed by money. If you think about gold, if you think about the dollar, pre-1971, it was backed by gold. Post-1971, it wasn't. So Olympus's view is that, hey, we can create a stable currency over time that is backed by hard assets. This is a departure from the current most common currency on chain, which are stable coins right. that are trying to peg their value to the US dollar. That's what I was about to ask you. So can you give us the difference between stable coins and the reserve currency that you're creating? Sure, I think so. I think to understand that, uh, there's a concept in economics, it's called the impossibility trilemma. It's not, um, it's not a law of nature, like the gravitational constant, nothing in economics is. But what it says is that, you know, you can't have a fixed exchange rate uh, an independent monetary policy and free flow of capital. You've got to pick two. Uh, and so Olympus, so Olympus, so the difference, so Olympus's view is, hey, we can create a floating currency. And uh, so the difference, uh, the difference would be if you look at stable coins, stable coins use a variety of techniques, either collateralization mm -hmm. or some algorithms to keep the value of their token as close to $1 as possible. Right. Olympus's view is we will find stability over time. And that is the difference. And will you peg to the dollar or to any currency? Uh, it will not be, and this is the this is this is where the independent monetary policy comes in. It will not be pegged to any currency currently. So Olympus has just gone through a massive bootstrapping of the treasury phase. It went from zero dollars in treasury to three sixty million plus dollars in treasury. Its next phase is what it's ca calling range bound stability, where it's going to slowly start bringing in mechanics that will bring the more stability or it'll lower uh, the volatility in the ohm token which currently has been a very very volatile because it was going through a bootstrapping phase so one more for us then we're going to correct how did the whole olympus concept get created what were you guys thinking about you know all that I, stuff i wasn't well you're not <laughs> zeus or apollo or whatever they are, i am yeah. very accidental to crypto uh, i was not uh, i am not the founder not even like core team i was uh, i mean i my world is more similar to current 
Athens than it is to Olympus. Uh, I was working on an internet for all problem. And uh, at some point I found uh, crypto because I found a company that showed me how to run an internet service on a crypto backend. So for me, the promise of programmable money I only discovered summer of last year. And at that point I started researching other projects and with the background that I have, I remember stumbling into Olympus's documents in June, and after that, I just started writing a lot about it. So I don't know exactly what those guys were thinking, but for do me- Do you know, I know their identities are hidden. Do you know who they are personally? I do not. Okay. Would you tell me the truth if you did? Uh, it's hard to say, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know their identities. So, all right, so Karen, you have this really successful career in banking, um, and then all of a sudden now you're in like one of the most cutting edge fields, you know, w within FinTech. How did you get from point A to point B? So um, I attended a, uh, a conference on crypto in, in Denver called ETH Denver. In fact, at that conference, I heard Asvi speaking. And I scratched my head because I did not understand a single word <laughs> of what he was saying. But... Intuitively, I knew that blockchain was a thing, that it really will transform finance and property. And so I swallowed the red pill, and now it's eight hours a day, reading, talking to people, attending conferences. So, and what's the what's the role here? Like, as you're, I see you're the guy that really understands global finance. And is that basically as they figure out how to create a stable reserve currency, you kind of understand what all the different levers are? Yes. And finance that uses blockchain needs something which is less volatile than your cryptocurrency. Right. And that's where stable coins comes in. And a, a more nuanced version of that is what you guys are doing is what Olympus DAO is. Yeah, but you need that. Uh, that 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 drives the entire world of finance so on blockchain. Yeah. So so how often though? So you know we invest in work with lots of different companies in, in the blockchain and crypto space. How often do they bring in people with your kind of expertise who really understand finance? Is that is that common or is it something that they should do but most of them don't? Well, um. I can answer that. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's super uncommon. Like, as in, even, I mean... <laughs> Which is crazy. No, e even, I mean, <laughs> Karen is, like, you know, phenomenally experienced. Like, uh, I mean, even... I'm not as experienced, but, like, I'm one of the very older guys. Like, I'm 39, but, like, a lot of people in this community, they'll sometimes refer to me as dad. Like, they are, like, <laughs> in their early 20s. So, I mean, it is very much a fringe movement that is largely driven by people who I'd call DeFi natives. These are people who had crypto wallets before bank accounts. They have played financial markets like a video game. And as a result, their understanding is sometimes phenomenally profound. They end up creating primitives that are, that are, they end up doing gymnastics with money that we could only imagine in traditional finance. And, and frankly, that is the lure for people like me and for people like Karan, because we've seen finance and now we see programmable money doing things that <laughs> we did not know were possible. So, so therefore, explain to the listeners what DeFi is and what the societal benefit is. What, why, do, why are you doing this? Okay, yeah. I mean, okay, well, one thing that binds both of us is uh, by origin, we're South Asian. 
Uh, I'm from Pakistan, he's, he's from India, <laughs> you know, traditional rivals, but not in this conversation. But look, I'll tell you, um, at its core, for me, crypto is delivering a legal system globally that works. The reason people migrate out of places like Pakistan, India, Indonesia, and they go to places like Germany, UK, America, is because you've got functional laws. Blockchain or smart contracts give you functional laws that are global. That's one. That's a huge deal for any entrepreneur, any change maker. Now, coming to DeFi, there's close to 1.7 billion people who are unbanked. There are billions of people who have smartphones, but they don't have uh, bank accounts. This is, right now, we're in a hyper-speculative mania when it comes to DeFi, when it comes to crypto. Over time, this gives me hope that this possibility, this ability to send value online can potentially help us bank the unbanked. And that's really the promise. Right now, it doesn't feel like it because it's a speculative mania, but all useful technologies were fueled by speculative mania, whether it was railroads or whether it was uh, cable systems that were transcontinental. Right, so ef effectively, it's a new financial system available to everyone, whether you're banked or unbanked, over the blockchain, and as long as you have access to the internet, you can be part of it. Yes. Right, so, so the way that I see crypto, and I'm curious to see if, if you think that DeFi users are, are the same category or not. So I see crypto, and by the way, and I kind of think it's it's beautiful in a way, which is um, it's a manifestation of the loss of trust institutions in the world over the last 60 years. So I think you basically could start at the Vietnam War, at least in this country, and go out 60 years. You know, we don't trust government, right? Whether it's Watergate or Trump or Clinton had his own scandals or whatever else. Um, we don't trust Wall Street, especially after 2008. Um, we don't trust the church after all the scandals that they had. We certainly don't trust the media, right? And to me, crypto is people saying, I am so sick of the system that it as is, I would rather throw my lot with people who believe what I believe. I'll never know, you know their names, right? I'll never know their identities or anything else, but we share a common belief and I trust them more than I trust the Federal Reserve, more than I trust the U.S. Treasury or anything like that. So first, is that how you guys see crypto or do you see it a different way? A lot of what you say is correct. I'm gonna be the older guy here in the room and okay. step back as yeah, to please. what brought me to this. So I start with the blockchain and I, I start with a concept called smart contract. Yep. Think of that as a vending machine. It's, it's very simple. You put two coins in, you get back one snack. Yep. If you don't put two coins in, you don't get back one snack. And there's no paperwork, there's no other, there's no other if, ands, and buts. So it's a, it's a contract that you can enter between two parties, right. nobody in the middle. Now, in finance, um, you can send money, you can borrow money, you can lend money, there's all manner of derivatives. Through smart contracts, you can press a button and globally something happens. So that's your anybody with a with an internet connection. Right. Then to create different versions of finance, you introduce the concept of stable coins, because that's how you can exchange things yep. between parties. And so what you find today is that there are young people all over the world, developers who know coding, yep. who are going on and writing things on finance in yep. code. And they could be sitting anywhere. They're not Ivy League 
Some of them are, many of them are dropouts. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. in fact, all the better. Yeah, I, I would say our, our favorite founders in our venture fund are all the dropouts. <laughs> we like them the best usually. So, so that's what's happening in, in DeFi. So, so is it fair to say, and actually tell me if this is correct or not, crypto in some ways represents the rejection of the system. DeFi represents people who actually want to be part of the system, but currently are just left out of it, and this is what allows them to end. I, I don't see it like that. Okay, I, yeah, tell me. I, I, uh, I, I see, um, like, you know, I have a lot of empathy for bureaucracy. Uh, I have a lot of empathy for the government. I've got a lot of empathy for the military. That's that's my background, by the way. I yeah. come from a very heavy yeah. duty military right family. About it, yeah. And uh, there are humans uh, filling forms in a lot of organizations trying to do good, trying to rid society of evils, trying to end world hunger, trying to make internet for all happen, trying to you know save the planet. But the thing is, they run into challenges. They run into challenges related to organizing activities. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, so, so I, my background you know, as a result of economics and finance, the lens I put on is that the, for me, what attracts me to blockchain, crypto, is it's, it's, a, it's, it's creating, it's helping reduce transaction costs further. And the reason that matters is a, a slight detour, and I'll just nerd out a little bit. Yeah, Ronald Coase was a Nobel laureate who asked a question, why do firms yeah. exist? So I, I went to University of Chicago, so I'm very, very familiar <laughs> so with the So then Coase his, theorem. okay, great, then yeah. I'll jump to the next one. His student, Oliver Williamson, so Ronald Coase is here, so I'll, then I'll yeah. jump. Ronald Coase said firms exist because they minimize transaction costs in organizing a certain activity. But his theory didn't play out as, as, as he was forecasting. He was forecasting horizontal organizations to happen very quickly. Why did they not happen? Because because Oliver Williamson later said, what's the role of managers inside a firm? What's the role of authority inside a firm? And, 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 and those two things combined showed us limitations of organizations. Now, when I look at crypto and I look at uh, uh, codified contracts, I see, us I see us reaching greater efficiencies to solve problems that we currently can't solve. Every government lawmaker I've spoken to wants to do internet for all, but you know, where do they get stuck? They can't find the right bankable contracts. Yep. They can't find the right ability to execute. They can't find the right ability to get things done. So really for me, this technology is not about a rejection of the system. It's a new capability that we as humans are beginning to harness that can actually help us solve very pressing challenges. So the, when I talk to regulators uh, about crypto and, and DeFi, one of the complaints that they raise is the anonymity, right? Mm -hmm. Hard word to say. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, hey, you know, KYC is really important, AML is really important, we've got global terrorism that we're trying to keep yep. an eye on. And this entire system basically makes all of that impossible for us to monitor. What's the response to that? So first of all, it's a lot harder to do crime with crypto than it is to do with cash. Um, I'm from Pakistan. I've seen a lot of terrorism in front of my very eyes. Yeah. I also know that when you bust into, or my brother's in the military, um, you know, the, the stories I've heard is when you bust into a terrorist outfit and you, you know, gather their belongings, what do you find? Firearms and dollars. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of crime happening through cash. Now, when it comes to crypto, crypto is crazy trackable. I mean, there's a company called Chain Analysis. They actually met with the Congress and they talked about even with things like Tornado Cash that helps you mask uh, the origin and source of funds, your ability to track transactions is much greater 
in this new world compared to the older system. On anonymity, I will say that I understand the concern, and I mean my response to you know government and regulators is the same. That look, I. I am concerned about illicit activities as much as you are, if not more. I've personally been heavily impacted by global terrorism as a result of where I'm from. And so, but at the same time, it's like this is a very powerful technology. Let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right. So, so Karen, yeah, so, you, you spent so, a whole career in the system before this. So tell me what you think. So the crypto adherents, if they drop this desire to be... Um, not challenged on KYC and anonymity, they won't lose anything in the system. And the regulators rightfully say, we don't want the dark web doing bad stuff. Yep, fair enough. We want you to pay taxes on income and capital gains. Mm -hmm. And there's probably a few other things, but in the main, it's this. The crypto industry will lose nothing by adhering to these requirements. Except, okay, fair enough, but you guys are Olympus Dow. The founders are people known as Zeus and Apollo. Mm -hmm. Those aren't probably the names they were born with. Mm -hmm. um, if if what you're saying is right, why are they hiding? So th that I can answer. So it's not so much that they are hiding. It's that you see, it is the ideology around decentralization. It's this idea that we are we don't want these organizations to be centrally con controlled. Now you could absolutely say. Maybe that's a bit naive, given where we are in the world. Can decentralized organizations completely exist? But I can say with certainty uh, that the decision to go anonymous was not driven by a desire to do something illicit. It was more driven by partially a desire to, uh, cre to create a truly decentralized organization. And also, there's a bit of aspiration involved with the story of Satoshi Nakamoto, that this right. guy came along created Bitcoin, was an anonymous identity, and then he disappeared. So there are a lot of people who do aspire to be Satoshi in some ways, right? Yeah. There is a whole lot of that. <laughs> but I mean, and now I will give the caveat, there are many folks who will do illicit activities as anons, but then you don't see quality of thought in their work. You don't see the depth of uh, you know, thinking around incentive structures, around honoring all community votes, around not running away with the funds. Like Olympus right now has a $360 million treasury. Right. If these guys were frauds, literally they could <laughs> drain that pocket. treasury yeah. and they could be gone. If these guys were frauds, they would not have spent as much time and energy as they've done to design the incentive structures that they've designed to stay long-term aligned this protocol. Let's, let's talk about DAOs generally, because Olympus DAO has, I would say, a very clear purpose that has a real societal benefit, right? You can bring 1.7 billion people who are currently cut out from the system ultimately into the world of global finance and make their lives better. Other DAOs, from at least my own observations, are a little more nebulous, right? Like, you know, the ones that you hear about are the DAO that tried to buy a copy of the U.S. Constitution, the DAO that tried to buy the football team, the Denver Broncos. So other than you guys, how do you define DAOs and, like, when are they good and when are they not good? Karen, you want to, or either one of you? you go, ahead. go ahead. Look, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, even I think one of the states came up with this. First of all, these organizations, I think, are just decentralized organizations. They are just unincorporated entities. They're not autonomous. Most of them are not autonomous, right? So I think that's like one thing. But I mean, I um, I think the, the there's two technologies. I think if we leave the um, jargon of the word out DAO, 
I, I see two things. I see a uh, much more effective chat room created by uh, uh, platforms like Discord and Telegram mm -hmm. combined with this idea of a liquid token. These are the two technologies that are getting married together and they have been given the name of a DAO. And now what happens with a liquid token yeah. is that it ends up aligning incentives of people who are geographically dispersed. So if let's say any right. ge geographically dispersed people, when they are tied to a particular uh, piece that shows you a number on a screen, they can all feel, hey, we can all work together and try to make this number go up. Which I mean, and I, you know, this is a bit crude to say, but that's the reality of many DAOs, including Olympus. Like right now, everyone, including Olympus, is in a speculative phase. The capital that's coming in, I can guarantee you, is not really thinking, majority of the capital coming in is not really thinking about, huh, interesting, what societal problems are we going to solve? It's a speculative phase that yeah. we're in. Yeah, so Karen, but I would say, so on crypto at least, if, if, if that's a precursor, it went from being this highly speculative thing that Wall Street kind of looked down on to now something that Wall Street is embracing and saying, okay, it's not going away, so we better be part of this. Will that happen with DAOs too? Yes. Um, when Satoshi created Bitcoin, he created a blockchain, he created a monetary system, he also created a formula to incentivize. And that is leading into some of the DAO um, systems and technologies. But at that core, um, a DAO would be distributed decision-making. Right. And if, it's, if it operates and functions, it's probably a good thing. I think Wall Street doesn't care about DAOs, and I'll tell you, like my. Will they? Or no, they? no I, I think they, by design, again, like as you know, it's like you know Charlie Munger's quote, who hates crypto and DAOs. <laughs> show me the incentive, and I'll show you the outcome. Uh, what is Wall Street's incentive to help people earn more money with their money, and then charge a fee for it? Right. So, as far as Wall Street is concerned, what Wall Street is looking for is yield. They're looking for returns, right. and they're looking for some regulations and safety through which they can market financial products to their clients. Whether that comes from a centralized entity or whether that comes from a DAO, that's less of a concern. But for doesn't them. Olympus offer the possibility to significantly expand the client base? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I saw, great, right? Absolutely it does. And I think from that perspective, like, I do see Wall Street coming to embrace this movement, or, which is not just related to Olympus. It's got, there are like a number of other projects that are involved to say that, yes, this is a very effective distribution mechanism. This is helping us get the word out a lot further in a lot, in many more parts of the world. So in that respect, yeah, and I, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, this is the interesting thing about the whole Anon status. I wouldn't be surprised if many people in traditional finance are anons in the Olympus DAO server contributing. Right, if, if, <laughs> right either out of intellectual interest or fear or whatever it is, yeah, right? Yeah, to yeah. Totally. I, I'm very, in fact, like some people I know who are like, you know, in a pretty solid financial institution who do dabble around with, uh, with these kind of organizations, but as anonymous individuals right. because their organization will never be comfortable that they're doing that. Yeah, or at least not now. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, yeah, so right. this, this product needs to go mainstream. Um, and in DeFi, the yields you get are meaningful. And one should be interacting with regulators and saying, like everything else in the 40 Act investment product, let me disclose what the risks are. Mm -hmm. Let me describe what the underlying assets are in this. 
just like a regular mutual fund. And when that day comes where you can disclose, describe, not subvert, this is, this is not a security, it's something else. No, take it straight on and, and, and create a product that can be then sold to retail. And it solves right. a problem. Yeah, for sure. So let me want to end with a, I, I kind of want your advice. I've been wondering about this and I was excited that you guys were coming. Um, and it's a little complicated, so we'll, we'll walk through it. But in the same vein as the liquid tokenization concept, I've been really interested in the concept of a liquid democracy, right? Mm. Um, which at its absolute peak mm. could argue for you don't need elected representatives at all. Mm -hmm. In theory, the society, the government could operate like a DAO mm -hmm. where effectively everyone can just cast their ballot on whatever the issue is. And by definition, the rule of a majority, whether they're right or wrong, is what we get as opposed to right now a system where actually a couple of powerful ideologies and, and groups tend to drive most of the process. Um, do you think there's any way that the Dow movement kind of helps bring about a liquid democracy? So, so I, I don't know about the Dow movement, but uh, you, you know this guy Balaji Srinivasan? No. Maybe butchering his name, but he's no. written a book. Okay, he's. Oh a, wait, no, no, we had him on the podcast. Oh, like you did three, yeah, four years ago. Network yeah. state. I mean, yeah. that's that, that's his big concept. I mean, he's he's written a book about it. I may be getting the name wrong, but the concept is a network state that you can actually start that that he foresees which i also do agree with that like some of these uh, distributed communities will end up creating some kind of network states that are a new form of nation states in which you know you may end up creating much better mechanisms to make decisions as a community around voting around decision making but you know the jury's out there on how effective this is going to be people who go deep into DAOs, they have often very similar complaints as anyone does who's worked at a large organization that, oh, things get slow and we run into bureaucracy, we run into the human uh, lethargy. Right, it's tricky because <laughs> with no bureaucracy, it's hard to have any sort of structure. With too much bureaucracy, obviously, it deters innovation and it's sort of finding that right that right. Yeah, balance. and probably there is never one stable state that is going to be perpetual. I think we're just going to continue to bob and weave and go from one state to another uh, until you know we find some kind of a happy medium. So, is there so? If you take the view that most people around the world don't really have that much say over their country, their government, and you know, I think Americans would say that, and we probably have the most say, right? So it only gets worse from there. I mean, is there a world effectively where once people get so used to if the, if the 1.7 billion unbanked through Olympus DAO all of a sudden now are able to be part of the system on the blockchain? where people realize, like, why are we being told what to do by all these other people who have small groups of people who have a lot of power? Um, we don't even have to have government in the form that we have. We don't have to have nations in the forms we have it right now. Like, India and Pakistan, you guys are sitting next to each other. I'm guessing the vast majority of Indians and Pakistanis don't hate each other, yeah. right? But you have some people in power on both sides, and it's in their interest to have some kind of conflict, and therefore they perpetuate it in one way or another, yeah. right? It, do you, I mean, I kind of, what excites me is the idea of, of ultimately taking this from banking and, and to, to government society overall and saying we could reimagine and rethink how we conduct government, uh, borders of nation states, the concept of nation states. Um, you know, to me, it's really exciting. What, what do you guys think? Ditto. Look, look, I mean, you know, someone, again, who comes from a military family, like, you know, the idea of a currency without a military, it's never existed, right? Like, I mean, that's not, like, there's never been a reserve. I mean, forget there's never been a reserve currency without a military. 
So the idea that like you know there could be a meaningful currency in the world, uh, you know, like that like central banks are willing to hold that's not tied to a military. Yeah, that is really powerful. Uh, on the more utopian idea that you know people will start making choices and like voting and there will be less apathy, that I'm not as optimistic about because people check out when their lives are kind of working out all right. I mean, voter apathy that you see in right. democracy, we see the same thing in DAOs. When, yeah. when they start, there's a lot of uh, voters are excited. Once, you know, over a period of time, voter apathy really kicks in. Yeah, you have to continue to run a campaign. At the, we've been, out of my foundation, funding and running the campaign in mm -hmm. the U.S. to make mobile voting possible. It's, mm. We've done it in seven states. We're building our own voting technology right now. But even once we get to the point where the tech is good mm -hmm. and the gov states are allowing it, it still requires constant vigilance. You know, the good news is, all the people right now who are in the U.S. on a random Tuesday are not going to miss taking their kid to school or miss work to vote for a state Senate primary. They might if they just have to press a button on the thing they're already staring at anyway. But, yeah, it, it's not you can't just assume their participation. You're going to have to work for it. Yeah, totally uh, agree. And, and in that regard, <clears throat> we in, in America have a leg up because and we should keep that. I mean, think of China. Yeah. I mean, decentralization is a bad word. Right. It's, 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 it's terrifying. <laughs> to terrifying them. to them. Yeah. So we, we just have to keep regulations moving I, fast yeah, along. I, I agree. I know now we're low over on time, but like it seems to me, I don't know if you guys read the executive order that Biden issued on crypto mm -hmm. about, about yeah. two months ago now. And a, a lot of it I, I kind of didn't like, and I thought the crypto community didn't quite interpret it properly. I thought it was more ultimately of reasserting the power of the SEC to do whatever they want on crypto. But there seems to be a recognition that there's an amazing economic opportunity in this country to create jobs around DeFi, around blockchain, around crypto, and make the United States sort of the global hub of that. And it could, it, creating new industries is hard, right? And creating new forms of finance is hard. I think there's a tremendous opportunity. So yeah, I agree 100%. I'm, I'm really hopeful. So all right, how do people find you guys? I am on Twitter. I'm Asfi33333, or uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. My name actually is Isfandiyar Shaheen. If, uh, but yeah, uh, those are. But easiest I think is to find me on Twitter. Got it. Karen. So on um, email, Karan Trey at Gmail, and LinkedIn, Karan Trehan. There we go, guys. Thank you so much. It was fascinating. Thank you. Thank you.